Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for this series. I have with me today Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian, and our friend Amy Russell, who's been sharing a lot of things that she has learned when she was in the New Age and how these things are creeping into the church. So welcome, everybody. Thank you. Good to be here. As we've had previous discussions preparing for this podcast, you had brought up Kundalini Yoga and how that ties into the serpent and the serpent of the Bible. Can you explain to us a little bit Kundalini Yoga and what that has to do with the serpent? Yes, Kundalini is um, a form of yoga, but just to backtrack a little bit, yoga is a silent worship. It's a worship to the Hindu deities and those are the deities of Hinduism that lead you to the Hindu ultimate life force that they call Brahman. So we don't worship Brahman. We meditate on Brahman to try and become Brahman. So okay. it's the idea of these poses are all a way to lead us to our heightened consciousness. So Brahman is heightened consciousness? Yes. Brahman is the Hindu god, the Hindu ultimate life force. The Hindu deities that um, exist within the yoga practice are all a way of leading us toward our Brahman state, the heightened state of yoga. So the deities, like, it is a silent worship. You can't remove the Hindu aspect and replace it with a Christian one because every pose in yoga represents a Hindu deity. I would, we would start the morning with Surya Namaskar. That is the worship of the sun. So you start doing the poses of worshiping the sun, and that's the beginning of our yoga practice. And then we move into Virabhadrasana, which is fierce warrior. We're honoring the warrior gods. So in that pose that honors the warrior god, we stand in Tadasana. It is mountain pose. We're honoring the creation, the mountains. You go into Pashimatanasana. You forward fold, and you honor the, the god that represents Pashimatanasana. So every pose has a name, and every name represents a Hindu deity. There is no way to undo that and call it Christian. It's, it's blas- that is the blasphemy. Wow. There's yeah. no way to undo it. So back on that note, Christian yoga is being endorsed by the church as a worship style class versus just exercise and stretching workout class. Again, one cannot replace the Hindu philosophies of yoga with the one true God or Christianity. The very name of yoga refers to joining us to the God within. It's panentheism. God is in all creation opposes the Christian teachings of theism, a personal God separate from his creation. You cannot merge the two. If Christians are attempting to merge the, these polar opposite beliefs, then I, why not just add a Christian brand to an aerobics class or a spin class to bring the Christian community together? One cannot practice a little Hinduism and walk with the true God. It's right. a worship to Hindu gods. And whether one intends to or not, or not that is what you're doing. And so you're evoking the gods that you're honoring. You're bringing them into the room with you. After I became a Christian, 
I tried to practice yoga still. I, I wanted to. It was my workout. I had my community I had been with for 15 years. They, they were my friends at the time. You know, they were the, the people I got up in the morning to, to go visit and we did our yoga together and that's how we came together. But I remember after I became a Christian walking into that room and that I could feel the difference, the oppressive energy. And I didn't want to be there anymore. I was like, I can't be a part of this. And then if somebody would have said, well, just pretend it's Christian yoga, which is what people will do. It's you can't, there's no way to extract that evil oppressive energy and say, well, I'm just going to worship God. In fact, I did try for a moment. I tried to worship God and I couldn't even access the thoughts. Um, I I couldn't even go there. It, it, it was like, and then I actually felt a little afraid because I just knew that it was so wrong. So I just completely had to stop. Okay. The two just do not mesh. I want to define something for listeners who maybe weren't in the first couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. There seems to be this thinking in Christians today that the false gods are nothing. They're just fake. They're made up. It's not a big deal. There is no Buddha, so we don't need to worry about it. But that's not that's not what the Bible says. And so we in a previous episode looked at some passages, but I want to make sure we bring it up again. because we need to understand that false gods are not fake imaginary things. False gods are demons. And so we read in first Corinthians 10, Paul says rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Now, keeping in mind the Greek and Roman culture of the day, they were literally sacrificing to false gods. But these false gods weren't nothing imaginary things made up. The false gods they were sacrificing to represented demons. Worshipping Hindu deities is the worship of demons. And to bring up another verse that we mentioned a couple of episodes ago would be Deuteronomy 32, 17. Once again, it says they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals. So when we're talking about the spirituality and we're talking about the worship of Hindu gods, we're not talking about pretend imaginary things. We're talking about the worship of demons, and that should stop us in our tracks. Right, and Christ talked about that too. Remember when he said you can't serve two masters? Right. Yeah, and... If you're going to serve God, you can't serve some false deity at the same time. Yeah. So to bring us back then to Kundalini yoga, how does this all tie together? So Kundalini is in Sanskrit, it means coiled snake. And so that is what we're attempting in this style of yoga is to access the coiled snake, which resides at our root chakra, coming back to chakras. It resides in our root chakra, which is our foundation. And so we're attempting through yoga to draw that energy up through our chakras, out through the crown of our head. And Kundalini is called the mainstay of all yoga practices by occult authority. And the serpent energy is said to reside at the base of our spine. It lies dormant. It's waiting to be unleashed through pranayama and yoga, through the yoga poses. So the process of drawing this up 
this coiled snake energy up is what the practice of yoga is about according to occult authority. So it is the practice of directing this powerful serpent energy to arise up the spine. It then strikes our third eye chakra. In Sanskrit, chakra means wheel, as I mentioned, psychic energy centers. And so once the third eye chakra is struck, the all-knowing eye is then said to be awakened. Then we then transcend into enlightenment. But the Kundalini is a, it's a deceiving spirit impersonating God. And yogis say that the Kundalini can infuse the body. The yoga practice is designed specifically to receive this power. Wow. So to say that it's a, it's a nothing, like these gods, they're false, so they don't exist. They are absolutely very real. Uh, Amy, so the, the people that are teaching this that you do, did they ever stop and think about the idea a serpent is found in the Bible in Genesis as Satan? No, and I wondered that because I remember the connotation with the serpent in the Bible is Satan, but the serpent in all New Age and metaphysical practices is a powerful being that we attempt to become like. Wow. Oh. And the serpent said you'd be like God. Yes, that's yeah. another way that Satan twists the truth. The serpent slithers in like he did in the Garden of Eden to Eve and, you know, tickles her ears. Genesis 3, 5, well, can't, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. And then, you know, we're like, well, why? W I want to partake in that. Why would God want to withhold that from me? You know, that's not fair. He wants to withhold this all-knowing, you know, which is what occult, like you said, hidden. Why is he hiding this powerful energy from me? If I can be like him, then I want to pursue that. That's wow. very amazing, Amy. I've got Genesis 3 right here. It says the serpent was crafty. So his idea was to deceive. And he asked whether God had really said, can you not eat from any tree? And then Eve repeats that with the addition, you can't even touch it, which God didn't say. Mm -hmm. And then the serpent says, you will not die. But look at this in verse 5 of Genesis 3. And in verse 6, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Isn't that what they're offering? Mm -hmm. Enlightenment. Open to the hidden. Enlightenment. Yeah, the serpent is the key to enlightenment in yep. Kundalini Yoga. But here, the serpent is tempting Eve to leave God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. In verse 6, And when the woman noticed the temptations, saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And I think it's rightly been said, in First John it talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Mm -hmm. and so there's an offer of some sort of a ascetic, wonderful, good thing that's going to bring wisdom and enlightenment but it's really going to destroy. Wow, that is really striking. This, the serpent in the garden and the serpent in the new age, they promise enlightenment and they promise all these good things. 
it's so shocking that this serpent, this coiled snake, the Kundalini Yoga, mm -hmm. it's not that hard to find out that's what this is all about, and Amy's testifying to it. So why would someone think, oh, the Christians need that? Exactly. It's the antithesis. The, everything to do with every aspect of yoga is the truth twisted. Wow. Satan twisted, twist the truth to manipulate us and make us think that it's okay, it's acceptable, it's appealing, it's a way to draw people together. And then once he has even a few people in the church, then he can slither in and have his way and start planting these different ideas in people's heads. But you as a pastor, if you saw even a group of like three or four people going off and practicing some sort of new age meditation or Christian yoga, you would put a stop to it. You wouldn't turn your a blind eye and say, oh, well, that's okay. You know, no, they're, no. Just, they're just, they're, they're just, they're just stretching together. Yeah. They're just getting together. It's fine because even a small group can infect the entire congregation. Yeah. Not only that, there's a huge difference of belief about what sort of practices are ordained by God. See, there's a lot of things we have liberty to do, like take a stroll through the park or sit by the lake or enjoy the sunset or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But see, when you start making religious claims, all right, and mm -hmm. when you're going to do something in the church in a religious context, in the Bible, we, we have things that in theology we call means of grace. God ordains how we come to him and how we worship him. And it's very clearly stated in the Old Testament, you shall not copy the pagans. You shall not do like them. You shall not learn from them how they serve their gods. Mm -hmm. God himself will tell us how we're going to serve him. Yes. Okay? That's so, that's essential. That's baseline, that's the foundation. And so we look to Acts 2.42 about how Christians serve God, where it talks about breaking bread, fellowship, and prayer, and uh, the, the means of grace, and the Word of God is taught, the teaching of the apostles. And so we gather to worship God under the terms that he's described, all grounded in his Word, which is objective revelation from God to us about who he is, why we need him, how we come to know him, and how we serve him in a way that would be honorable and a blessing to us and, and edifying to the church. And to take this serpent-based yoga that is a total uh, rebellion against what God says and bring that into the church and say, here, let's do it this way. Yeah. It's utterly wicked and shameful. It is. I just flipped back to 1 Corinthians 10, which I mentioned just a few minutes ago. In the very next verse, it says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. You can't do it. Wow. And, and shortly after this, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul then goes on to talk about what the Lord's table really is and how it's to be done. In the contents of 1 Corinthians, it had to do with sacrificing to idols and meat sacrifice to idols and different things. But 
the broader principle applies here. You can't take the worship practices of the pagan culture and try and make it Christian. You can worship demons or you can worship God, but you cannot do both. Right. Deuteronomy 12.4, like you said, do not worship the Lord your God in the way the pagans worship their gods. So coming back to Kundalini Yoga, did you suffer any side effects from this? So I was not possessed by this spirit. However, it did affect me and I had certain side effects and symptoms. I will just lift those muscle spasms and twitches, intense heat, intense fatigue, chronic headaches, cold chills in my lower skull, grief, fear, rage, depression immediately following the practice every time I practiced it, convulsions, heart palpitations, altered states of consciousness and hallucinations. So this wow. is clearly the working of demonic forces. Eastern gurus say that these symptoms occur when one is moving toward enlightenment. So their excuse, of course, is the same. You're moving toward enlightenment. Just let this process flow. You're purging your impurities. In my case, my Christianity. You know, like, oh, Amy, you're going through that because your Christian upbringing has to come out. It needs to purge. So Christians are called to be separate for a reason, for our protection. And we as Christians cannot endorse these practices. The work of the Holy Spirit does not result whatsoever in any dangerous symptoms of any kind. There's nothing in the Bible that warns us about, well, if these symptoms come on, this is what you do, which every New Age practice has a warning of yeah. what could happen if you delve too deeply, be careful, this is what you need to do. And wow. the Bible does not do that because the Holy Spirit does not incorporate anything evil that's going to harm us. And it just brings to mind Bob's your illustration of the two circles, the kingdom of, of darkness and the kingdom of light. Am I right? Yeah, right. They're total yes. opposite. Yeah. And how God transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. He then doesn't, he doesn't then condone us going back and grabbing a section out of the kingdom of darkness, bringing it into the kingdom of light saying, I'm just going to worship God this way. You know, God's not like, well, as long as your intention is good and as long as you're sincere, then pagan worship is fine. You know, it's like, that's it's not, yeah. you can't do it. Like you said, you can't, you can't live in both worlds. He removes us yeah. totally out of the domain of Satan, Colossians 1, yeah. 13 and 14. And then Acts 26, 18, he takes us from darkness to light and from the domain of Satan to God. And so and there's a domain change. And the concern in the New Testament was that the pagans, and you see this in Colossians and in epistles to Corinthians, the pagans were so used to practicing these things. And one of the problems they had was also a lack of moral teaching. And the pagans just lived very wicked lives and didn't think anything of it. And they would want to bring that stuff into the church and say, well, we'll just do it that way. But we've been saying for decades, no, God determines how we live and God determines how we worship. And we're now in a totally new, different kingdom, the kingdom of light. Jesus Christ is the king and the Lord. And it's not that we're lacking anything aesthetic or uh, pleasing in that sense. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is even greater. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
and uh, we have righteousness, peace, and joy. And I don't think anything the world has can be even compared to the joy of the Holy Spirit because that's eternal. Well, no matter how old and sick we get, we still have the joy of the Holy Spirit because we know our sins are forgiven and God dwells in us by his spirit. Oh, we have the means of grace that God has ordained, and we have the promises that are attached to those means of grace. And we have the fruit of the Spirit that we get at conversion and that grows as we sit under the means of grace. And none of those have warnings attached to them. True. So we, We're not going to suffer because we studied the Bible and listened to the truth of the gospel and worshiped Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit and have the fruits of the Spirit and we love the people of God and we take care of one another, that's not going to ever harm us. Nothing will by any means harm us because we're safe in Christ and we're living His way by His grace. Mm -hmm. Wow. So Amy, do you have anything that you want to add about yoga? I just want to add a couple Bible verses, Luke eleven thirty five. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in you be not darkness. Um, wow. I just find that to apply to yoga because they're talking about bringing in something that's so light and wonderful. It's darkness. You cannot bring that in and call it light because you put a Christian label to it. It's darkness. So, you know, take heed that the light which is in you be not darkness. And then Matthew 13, 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And so practicing Christian yoga and practicing new age meditation in a church setting is sowing tares among the wheat. And if people don't know that that is dangerous and that if, if pastors aren't willing to look at that and say, I can't have you doing that in my church, if they're going to just turn a blind eye, the tears are going to grow. It's just, right. it's just what is going to happen. If you if you allow Satan a foothold, he's going to come in and take over. Well said, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you, you can access this program and many articles at our website, cicministry.org. And we encourage you, as it says in Philippians 1.27, to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. We've been speaking with Bob DeWay and Amy Russell, and we'll see you next week. 